Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be here with y'all, hearing your beautiful voices this morning. Ah, you're like an angel choir out there. I love it. Well, everyone, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Who's going to watch the game? Cool. A few shows of hands. That's good. Um, uh, thankfully, this year... Am I right in thinking, because I don't follow football, forgive me, but so Tom Brady is not in the Super Bowl this year, right? Okay, cool. Hey, you know, God bless him in his retirement. I pray that, you know, his life is full and blessed and wonderful with all those rings that he's got. But man, we don't need another deflate gate. No way. Not the way the country's going. Here we go. So uh, that's not what I came to talk to you about this morning, but... That's a freebie. So, uh, I, I think, do we, wait, Richard's not back there. <gasps> oh, no. The perfect storms. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, well, so if you have uh, your bulletins, uh, we have kind of a note page on the back. Um, uh, forgive me, uh, today we don't have a, a, like a three-point and a poem kind of sermon sort of thing going on. Um, uh, it's going to be uh, kind of more of a one-point sermon. It's already written at the top there. Um, the title for today's message is Spiritual Formation. Our main passage today is going to come out of Matthew chapter 6, and the big idea that we're going to be exploring together, it's written there on the page, is that your experience with, gu <laughs> with guitar, no, your experience with God is determined by your motives. Your experience with God is determined by your motives. So we've been on a journey through the Gospel of Matthew in the Bible, and for the past couple of months or so, we've been camped out in one particular section that's most, it's the most famous group of teachings. It's kind of recorded as one lump sum teaching of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, most commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It was there on the side of a mountain by the Sea of Galilee that Jesus taught his followers about the kingdom of heaven and how its arrival would ultimately come to reform and shape their lives to bring them into that long-awaited time when God would finally establish his rule and reign here on earth. It wasn't going to look like what they thought it was, but nonetheless, Jesus was going to teach them about it. So, it all started with the Beatitudes. We're going to do some review right now. So uh, we started in Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. Jesus gave a series of eight really interesting, unique blessings that don't feel like they're blessings sometimes when you read them, but he calls them blessed all the same. And Jesus is challenging our connection with what we experience with what God calls blessed. And it's kind of counterculture to what we would imagine it to be. And so we covered that. He went on to speak about the influence that his followers were to have everywhere that they went, calling them salt and light in the world, um, which is, uh, isn't that a metaphor where you're just saying this is who you are? Uh, it's not saying you're like this, but this is who you are. And so he's speaking about that influence uh, that they were to have, and that their good deeds, those qualities about being salt and light, using that metaphor, would ultimately bring glory to God. 
through the way they lived their lives. Now, that was followed by uh, um, Jesus speaking about the weight and the importance of God's Word, His written Word, His spoken Word, and how that all leads to the place where we realize that to really live it out, we need to walk in complete obedience. Uh, in that section, uh, we saw a group of case studies. There were six of them. I'm glad we're on the other side of that. <laughs> and that, uh, you know, through that time we were shown uh, just how high the standard of God's kingdom truly is. It's like we, we read and, and we, we see what God says in his word, and then we realize that the heart behind it is actually aiming a bit higher than we had imagined. And so we see that, and with that high of a standard, we recognize, we realize that we need God's help through the work of a Savior, amen, to fulfill God's word where we fail. And we also need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit walking with us every step of the way. And so in our need, that also means that we need to be humble enough to admit that we have a need. Uh, we need to actually cry out to God in prayer. We'll talk about that in a minute. When, when we're in over our heads and we just need help, we actually need to come to God with that. And so that also means we need to be willing to accept his help, amen, uh, when he offers it. Because the truth is, the life we experience day in and day out is lived in the shadow of a world that's still influenced by sin and the grave. And so we can't really, in our own strength, live up to that level of righteousness of representing the kingdom of God on our own. That's why we need God. And we need His grace, and we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. Now, this morning, uh, Richard, do we have slides? Did we? Did that? Do we have slides? Hallelujah. Hey. All right. Okay. Amen. Okay, so this morning, we're talking about spiritual formation. You might be more familiar with the term discipleship. Uh, which we might see as that overarching process that we go through in life uh, to practice the way of Jesus, following Him, endeavoring to be like Him in every way for the rest of our lives here on earth. But the next distinction, kind of, so if discipleship is that overarching thing, kind of the next level underneath of it would be this reality of spiritual formation where we're being formed spiritually. It's made up of different practices that we submit ourselves to in order to train and develop our inner lives. In his book titled Spiritual Formation Following the Movements of the Spirit, author Henry Nouwen wrote, you can go to the next slide there. Yes, all right. Spiritual formation prepares us for a life in which we move away from our fears compulsions, resentments, and sorrows to serve with joy and courage in the world, even when this leads us to places we would rather not go. Spiritual formation helps us to see the face of God in the midst of a hardened world and in our own heart. This freedom helps us to use our skills 
in our very lives to make that face visible to all who live in bondage and fear. As Jesus told his disciples, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So spiritual formation, it's the result of doing the classical spiritual disciplines that, and finding through those practices that we are actually walking closer with the Lord. It's not something that's reserved for the hyper-spiritual or the ultra-religious giants that, you know, we might admire or worse yet, we might be intimidated by. Uh, these are practices that anyone can and should use to participate in, and through them we find a deeper richness in our lives of faith. And so some of those disciplines uh, are, you know, reading your Bible, praying, worship, uh, service, and a whole host of other ones. We're not going to do a full scope summary today, but this is kind of an overarching view in light of what Jesus is about to say to us. So I want to share a story with you. When I was in high school, I met this amazing young flautist named Angie, who completely captivated my attention. Um, just so you guys know, uh, she's not traditionally a piano player, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> um, she is a trained flautist, not pianist. But that being said, the Lord has blessed her with the ability to, you know, be where she's at today. So I'm very grateful for that. Now, so she captivated my attention in high school, y'all. She was amazing. And so like all guys who start crushing on a girl at that age, I was trying to think of any possible way I could try to impress her and win her over. So I made a point of saying hello any time that she was around. I had jazz band and geometry with her. So I always tried to sit near her as much as possible, but not in a creepy way, I hope, right? Uh, I even decided which foreign language I was going to take in high school based on the one she seemed most impressed with. She was really uh, killing it at uh, Spanish. And even though I may have wanted to pursue other ones, I thought, hey, I could learn some Espanol, y'all. So anyway, I, I decided that I had it really bad for Angie. I really did. And so in the process of beginning our friendship and learning more about her, I also found out that she was a Christian and that her Christian faith was really important to her. And that meant that some changes needed to start happening in my life at that time. So I started trying to change the way I talked when I was around Angie and not around my friends. Uh, the only problem was that I was really used to using some poor choice of language, bad language, right? Uh, that I still, and so when I would be around her and I'd be talking around her, I felt like I needed to use filler words such as the word like. And so like, for example, like, I sounded like what they called like a valley girl, like all of the like time. And I, from what Angie says, I used to actually sound sort of like that. I was, I, I was a hot mess. So <laughs> I even, so, 
so that was some of the stuff. But then I even started trying to read my Bible, which you would think, guy raised in church, he should be reading his Bible already. I wasn't. So I started trying to read my Bible so I could display my biblical prowess. You know, and I tried other things, and none of it really quite worked. It's like she saw right through me. Uh, and she saw the stash I was trying to grow. It was not good. Um, but none of it really quite worked like I thought it was going to, right? Now, I share this story with you because even though I was consistent in my pursuit of Angie, resolute, and I was devoted to that endeavor, the spiritual practices that I was using and participating in were really done with the wrong motive in mind. Um, my limited and uh, anemic relationship with God was being leveraged for my own selfish gain in hopes that Angie would notice me and maybe perhaps, you know, want to have a relationship with me. Uh, and so even though I had a professing faith and I grew up in the church community, I wasn't really that close to Jesus. Um, I was even on the worship team at my church and I wasn't that close to Jesus. There wasn't really a lot that sunk in until a couple of years later. And this reminds me of our topic and our passage today because it makes me wonder the question, what does it look like to practice spiritual formation for the right reasons? What would it mean for you and me to approach the practices of service prayer and fasting from a place of pure intentions rather than just trying to serve ourselves in the process. So let's find out what Jesus had to say about it. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Um, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, if you need if you don't have a Bible today and you don't want to use the one in front of you, I also have it up here on the screen. So, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jump down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Your experience with good... Oh, man, I need to find a different way to write big ideas. Okay, your experience with God is determined by your motives. And there is a clear distinction in our passage between the way that Jesus wants his followers to practice spiritual formation in contrast to the way that others were practicing them in first century Jewish culture. Now, in all three cases, the problem wasn't the actions themselves. It wasn't the spiritual discipline. So you can go to the next slide there. So the Bible teaches us that we should give to those in need, where it says in Deuteronomy 15, 11, for there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. The Bible also shows us how prayer is our way of talking with God. It is vital to a thriving and flourishing walk of faith. In Second Chronicles seven fourteen, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Prayer aligns our hearts with God's heart. And prayer prompts God toward action. God uses prayer as a means to advance his kingdom purposes where we are. And it's prayer that fuels our expectation to see God's presence in the everyday moments of our lives. Prayer is so important that we're not going to just talk about it today. We'll take a whole time next week to focus on just prayer. Um, now, continuing on, the Bible also reminds us about fasting and disciplining our habits of eating in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, where Moses wrote, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he may, might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I've heard it said from some preacher somewhere along the way that fasting is a theology of priorities in that it trains us to order our lives in such a way that we are to depend completely on the nourishment that comes from God alone. And so we position ourselves through denying ourselves to be filled by uh, God's sustaining presence, not the presence of bread, which I love and would love to have a slice right now. But here we go. Now, the problem with spiritual formation wasn't in the actions of the spiritual disciplines themselves. The problem wasn't in their accuracy either. The other people that Jesus referenced, the hypocrites he was talking about, they were the ones who would have executed these tasks to the utmost precision. It wasn't the quantity of the actions. 
If we were to look at the amount of religious activity that the hypocrites performed, the people he was referring to, on the surface, things would have looked pretty good. We might be impressed by what we saw on the outside. We might even be tempted to say that they are close with God. They have a deep walk with the Lord. But Jesus wasn't impressed. And his observations should lead us to dig a little deeper than what's on just the surface. It wasn't the frequency, how often these actions took place. The rhythm of first century Jewish life centered around and was saturated by their religious faith, which means that everyone Jesus was talking to, whether they were the highly educated or the poor tradesmen or poorer than that, everyone he was talking to in that day would have been familiar with an active practicing faith. So what was it? What was Jesus getting at in this portion of his teaching? There was a problem with their hearts and our hearts as well. Your experience with good... <laughs> I, I got my guitar on the brain. Maybe I need to have a confessional here sometime. Okay, your experience with God is determined by your motives. And if your motives on the inside are only skin deep, they're shallow, then that will ultimately influence the depth of your relationship with God. <clears throat> the prophet Isaiah described it this way in Isaiah 29, 13, saying, quote, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. In other words, they're really good at paying lip service. They're saying all the right things, but they don't really mean it. These were the kinds of people who were more fixated on the performance of their religion and having others notice their spiritual exploits and habits than actually knowing and allowing those practices to sink in and influence and transform the core of who they were. And so this is why Jesus gave the instruction when you give to the needy. Notice he didn't say if you give to the needy. He didn't go so far as to say if you want to give to the needy. He's expecting that if we identify as a person who follows him, then giving and service is something that we will do. So whether it's service or prayer or fasting, do not be like the hypocrites. If we were to read that in the old authorized version, we would read that warning as thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. It's a command to not act in that way. Because if they did, and if we did, we wouldn't be practicing true devotion to God. We would just be playing religion games and fooling ourselves in the process. So what's the alternative? 
I would submit to you today, real, authentic, growing relationship with God through spiritual formation. It's, you know, the place where our hearts are in the right place and our motives are genuine because the spiritual practices that form and shape our inner being are not about how good or how holy we look to other people. Spiritual formation is not about impressing the people around us. It's really about exposing the depths of who we are to a righteous and holy God who sees us and knows us and loves us and wants to be with us all the same. He wants a relationship with you, friends, and with me. I love the way Eugene Peterson translated Matthew 6.1 in his paraphrase, the Message Bible. It's up there on the screen. Be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. Isn't that good? Your experience with God is determined by your motives. Ah, and as a point of reflection, there are three questions I want us to ask ourselves to help to see if our motives are in the right place or not. And if they are not, then we can respond through confession and repentance. We can bring them to God and we can say, God, I'm dealing with this stuff. Please help me. So those three questions are, first one, how much money, time, and talent would you joyfully give to kingdom causes if the only one who ever knew about it was God. You know, uh, if I didn't get a tax write-off, would I still give my tithe and my offerings to the church? Would you still take that donation to Goodwill or St. Vinny's if you never got a receipt for it? Would you invest time and money to go on a mission trip if you weren't able to take some selfie pictures and brag about it when you get home? Uh, or would it be enough just to be obedient to God, even if you never got credit for it? The next question is, how often would you pray if no one but God was keeping track? Or maybe put another way, if no one but God knew you were praying, how often would you pray? Is, is prayer a vital part of your life? We'll touch on that more next week. Third question is, would you find it valuable to do spiritual disciplines like Bible reading, fasting, the gathering together for worship and others, because there's a lot of them, if no one but God knew you were doing them, there's a common thread here, right? If all three of these practices, if it was just between you and the Lord and no one else was involved, no one else knew about it, would you still do them? Would you still be moved to that action? The good news is that God knows your heart. That's also the scary news, because we can't hide it from him. He sees where you're at, 
And even in the midst of whatever you're struggling through today, let's say your motives are not pure. <laughs> and you're just like, ooh, I just want to uh, check the box and I'm just here. What, whatever that might be, friends, he still loves you. And he is still here for you. He is for you. He's not against you. He wants that relationship with you. He wants that connecting time with you that happens through these moments of us choosing to spend time with him. The invitation of spiritual formation is to use these simple practices consistently over time to get what Jesus called a reward. It's not a financial reward. I'm sorry, but it's not. It's not, a, it's not like you're at the end of the rainbow and you won the pot of gold, right? It's not that. From what I see in the text, it all points us to the conclusion that our reward would be to find our greatest and fullest fulfillment in God and God alone. So all of these little moments where we are led to serve or pray or to fast or whatever God is compelling you to do in that way, even in the mundane moments of life, God wants to meet you in that place with his love. And so, as we come to the table this morning, the, the metaphorical table, we don't have another table up here. I have this table. It's good. Um, the communion table this morning. And we remember Jesus. He's that same person who taught his disciples on the side of a mountain by the Sea of Galilee to drive home the point that your experience with God is determined by your motives. Jesus Christ saw you and me in our need and he gave his life as a willing sacrifice in our place so that we could experience healing and redemption and be brought back together with our Heavenly Father. The hope of communion and practices like it is that in some mysterious way, you know, this is just juice. Uh, it's kind of been there for a while, so it might be slightly fermented. I'm sorry. We didn't plan it that way. But, you know, it's just juice, and it is just bread. But in some mysterious way, God is here with us right now. And although it's just a simple action of taking these elements and consuming them, eating them, drinking, we get to connect with God through this time. And so <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, a passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians, and then we'll, we'll pray, and then we'll take the elements together. <clears throat> 